0: Well, welcome to the city church. My name is Clayton Walker. I'm the pastor here. If we've never met, want to welcome those of you watching online. Uh, we are pumped. You're joining us right now as well. And whether you're watching online or right here, I'd encourage you to uh, jump on our app, download our app, the city church Lubbock. You can grab that in your app store. Uh, that will give you a way to kind of follow along, especially if you're watching online right now, uh, to follow along and stay connected and maybe not get as distracted with other things that kind of pop up on your phone or your laptop or wherever you're watching from, or maybe even in your house with kids and things like that. Uh, So follow along with the message, uh, downloading our app, click message notes and uh, the verses and the points will be there here in just a second. Well, we're starting a series today called Pandemic. And we had planned uh, for you to hear from Hillary Cobb, the director of One Voice Home today, and next week from Chad Wheeler, uh, the director of Open Door. Uh, Those are two of our local mission partners here in Lubbock and they do a tremendous job uh, blessing our city. Uh, We love those guys and I was uh, pumped for us to kind of hear from them and know more about what they do and how we can partner with them. Uh, But we just really felt like with everything that's going on in in the world today and the way um, this virus has taken over at least our news feeds. Uh, it, it was important to talk about this, to address it, uh, because that's uh, part of our job. It's to address, it's to know the times that we're, that we're in and to address the times that we find ourselves in with God's word, with the truth of God's word. And so, uh, we felt like this was a big enough deal for us to really shift gears and change course and, uh, do a, a two week series on. And so my hope is uh, we'll be able to reschedule them this summer during our friends series where we bring in uh, guest speakers. And uh, so that, that's my hope, because I want you to be able to, to hear from them as well. And so uh, today though, like I said, we're starting a series called Pandemic. And today we're gonna be talking about uh, the truth about life, human life, like humanity, that I believe the coronavirus has exposed. It's always been true. But I believe this virus has maybe exposed this truth, maybe more so and maybe even in some uncomfortable ways that we would prefer maybe not to think about. And so that's what we're going to do today. Next week, we're going to talk about the unshakable truth that we can hold on to in shaky times. And so it's definitely going to be a series to, um, uh, to watch if you miss, uh, to catch up on if you're gone next week. Uh, but today we'll start with part one. And, and first of all, I just want to define pandemic. According to the World Health Organization, pandemic is a worldwide spread of a new virus. And so this virus is something that we do not have uh, immunity to yet. And so it's not, in the words of the Scripture, a specter of persons. Uh, Any one of us can get it. Old, young, rich, poor, Republican, Democrat, uh, any race can get it. It applies to all of us. It's a worldwide virus that any one of us can get. And in the same way, there is truth about life that we will look at today that the coronavirus has exposed that is pandemic. In other words, it's applicable to all of us. It's true for every one of us. The things that we'll talk about today is not a respecter of persons. The truth that we'll talk about today does not show favoritism. So it's true for all of us. It's true for life itself. You see, I believe this virus, more so than anything maybe we've seen in quite a while, has exposed the truth about life itself, human life, like our existence here on this Planet. And so number one, the truth about life is that life is fragile. Life is fragile. Psalm 103 says this, verse 15 and 16, our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers, we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. Life is fragile. It's here one day and it's gone the next. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus said, this life is like a mist, like a, like a mist of water. It appears in one second and it's gone the next. It appears and then vanishes. In Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says this, cheats us to realize the brevity of, of life, that life is brief, that life is short, so that we may grow in wisdom. In other words, we grow in wisdom the more that we realize life is short. It's wise, Psalm 90 says, to understand, to realize that life is brief, life is short. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man considered to ever have lived said this, Ecclesiastes 7 verse 4, a wise person thinks a lot about death while a fool thinks only about having a good time. So a wise person thinks a lot about death and understands and realizes that life is short, that life is brief, that it's fragile. It's here one day and it's gone the next. The scripture says you are not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed another day on this life because life is fragile because of the curse of sin. Genesis chapter three, we learn that one of the curses of sin is death. From dust you came into dust you will return. That this very life, our bodies themselves are cursed because of sin. The ground is cursed. So the earth is cursed because of sin. So our world is cursed. Our bodies themselves are cursed. This life is fragile as a result of sin and it's wise the scripture says to realize that, to know that, to understand that and to think about it. The wise person thinks a lot about death and that's true. Listen, whether you believe in Jesus or not, whether you follow Jesus or not, you may be here or maybe watching online right now and you don't know what to think about this whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing. In fact, you, you, you would say you haven't been a believer but you're kind of exploring or you're open to, to checking it out. Listen, even if it's true for you too. It's wise to think a lot about death because all of us, 10 out of 10 of us, it's a pandemic. We will all die. Every single one of us. Now the Christian says, if you're alive when Jesus returns, then, then you, won't, you won't die. But if you, are, if you are not alive when Jesus returns, that means you have died. 10 out of 10 of us will die. The Bible says it's appointed on a man to die and then to face judgment. And that's the result of sin. And so all of us for one reason or another will die. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, you're not a believer, it's important for you to consider this too. What is going to happen after I die? Where will I spend eternity if such a thing exists? It's important, it's wise to think about, to consider. It may be the most important thing in this life to consider. What happens after I die, a wise person thinks a lot about death. Now the Christian has said after you die, you will face God, you will face judgment. And if you've given your life to Jesus, then you will spend eternity with God in heaven. And then one day that eternity will change and transition into eternity here on a new earth with a new city and a new body. But we will spend eternity with God in paradise, in heaven. But the Christian believes the person who has not given their life to Jesus will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. At that moment, they face God, and they will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell as a result of their sin. You break man's law, you pay man's fine. You break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Hell, where you will spend eternity. My son and I were talking about this yesterday, the day, the day before in the car, we were talking about what happens after you die. And we were just talking about this and I kept using the word eternity and, and Levi goes, how long is eternity? I said, well, it's forever, it never is. He's like, wow, that's a long time. Yeah, it really, it really is. It's a long time. And so the wise person would think a lot about where they're going to spend eternity. Secondly, I believe the coronavirus has exposed that life is dependent. Life is dependent. We would rather that not be the case in our our pride. We'd like to think that we're good on our own. Like I don't need anybody's help. I can control my life and the, the circumstances of my life. I don't need anybody's help. I've got this on my own. I don't need a savior. I don't need a God. The God, savior, that's, that's for the weak. I've got this on my own. But the coronavirus has exposed that, no, we, we are very dependent. We, we don't have this on our own. We are not in control of our lives or even the circumstances of our life. We can c- try to sanitize it as much as we want. We can spray it. I, I guess with the hoarding of toilet paper, I guess we think we can wipe it away, maybe. It's funny, yesterday in the car, I guess our schools are teaching our kids about what to do and what not to do. And I was driving and I was kind of, you know, scratching my face and, you know, doing this. And Levi freaked out. He's like, Dad, what are you doing? I'm like, what? He's like, stop touching your face. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. You're right, right, right. Maybe I can not touch my face enough so that I don't get this virus, listen, whether it's this one or another one, you are not in control. We're not in control of this life and the circumstances of this life. We said this in this past series we just got out of called On Your Left. We said control is a mirage. Control is a lie. Because just when you think you're in control, you lose it. And you realize you never had it to begin with. And so we said in that series, what do you do when you lost control? Like when you realize you can't control your life or the circumstances of your life or you can't control God. You you can't make him do what you want him to do. And when you want him to do, what do you do? Well, when we've lost control, first of all, we said you trust his identity. You trust that Jesus is God, that he's the son of God that he died and rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. We, we trust, we, we believe in his identity, that Jesus is God and he proved it by rising from the grave. He proved that he was God. And so we can believe in him, we can trust in him. And so I don't know about you, but when it comes to life after death and what happens after we die and, and who am I supposed to believe in and what way am I supposed to, to follow? I'm going with the one who rose from the grave. You can tell me your opinion all you want about what this life is supposed to be about and what's going to happen after I die. Listen, I'm going with the one who rose from the dead. I'm not going with your opinion. I'm not going with your religion that you came up with, that some man or some prophet came up with. I'm not going with it. I'm going with the one who rose from the dead. That's who I'm following. That's who I'm trusting in for not only this life, but for life after death. I'm trusting in his identity. Secondly, we said we're going to trust in his ability. That there is no small and large prayer requests when it comes to God. God can do anything he wants, nothing is too hard for God, nothing is impossible for God. And so we trust in his ability when we've lost control, and we trust in his timing. That God knows best, he's on his own time zone, he's on our time zone but God's timing is always best. And so when we lose control, when we realize we never had it to begin with, we trust in Jesus' identity, his ability and his timing. We trust in him, not in ourselves. We are dependent. And that's what happens when you realize you don't have control. You realize "I I can't do this. I can't do this on my own. I'm not in control. I am dependent on God. I need him. I need his help. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so in myself, I'm an object of the wrath of God. Ephesians 2 verse says, I'm an object of God's wrath. I'm an enemy of God in my sin. And so I need a savior. That's what Jesus said he came for. He came to save. He came to save and to call on those who know they are sinful and need a doctor, those who are sick and need a doctor, that they realize I am not righteous, I'm not right with God, I've fallen short of his standard. I need a savior, I need someone to help me because I can't do this on my own. I can't get to God on my own. I can't do better and try harder my way into the kingdom of God. I need someone to save me, I need someone to rescue me. I need someone to help me get through today. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So again, the, the writer of Hebrews is talking about the identity of Jesus, that Jesus is God in the flesh. But then watch this, the Son sustains all things by his powerful word. It's Jesus who sustains me, who sustains life itself, who sustains everything in this universe. Colossians chapter 1 says, verse 17 says kind of the same thing. He's before all things and in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. So Jesus is our sustainer. He's the one who holds us together. He's the one who holds life together. He's the one who holds this universe together by the power of his word Hebrews one says. And so when you don't have it all together, when you're not okay, when you realize you've lost control, when you've you never had control to begin with, we come to Jesus who sustains all thing by his powerful word, who holds all things together. We say, Jesus, I need you I'm depending on you. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this myself. I need your help. You are my sustainer. You are the one that's going to hold me together today because you hold all things together. My hope is in him. It's not in myself. It's not in well, and how, how well I can sanitize the things around me and we, we, we should do all that and, 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 and everything that we're being told to do and recommended to do. We should do all those things. But our hope is in Christ. It's not in myself. It's not in my best efforts. It's not in my good works. Our hope is in Christ Himself. Third, I believe the coronavirus has exposed that life is vanity. Life is vanity. You might be thinking, what does that mean? Well, Some translations of this verse in Ecclesiastes chapter one, where Solomon is writing about his life and realizing and understanding the the, the pursuits of his life and what they've uh, gained for him. He says this, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity or vain. In other words, some of your translations will say meaningless. Solomon realized that all the pursuits in this life are meaningless. When you read through Ecclesiastes, Solomon pursues money, power, fame. He, he achieves all those things. He's one of the most successful kings in Israel's history. They, they achieved more wealth and power and dominance than, than anyone had ever achieved at this point. In fact, we learn in the scripture that people were coming from all over the world to learn from Solomon. Leaders and monarchs from all over the world were coming to learn from Solomon, how, did, how, how have you done what you've done? How have you accomplished what you've accomplished? And Solomon was known as one of the wisest people to ever live. And he said, listen, I've pursued all those things, money, power, wealth. Listen, I've, I've pursued p- pleasure in women and all kinds of other things. I've pursued knowledge and, and wisdom. I've pursued all these things. And, and Solomon said, it's all meaningless. It's all vain. It has not achieved anything for me. There is still this longing in my soul that none of these things have fulfilled or brought contentment. They have not satisfied. And so what Solomon learned about life that I think maybe the coronavirus is exposing to is maybe we've been pursuing things that just don't matter, that, that, that are vain, that will not fulfill us, that will not give us that that peace or that contentment that we so long for, that life is vanity. And what Solomon began to realize, when you read Ecclesiastes, is that what really matters in this life is pursuing God, it's enjoying God, it's worshiping God. And then he learned this, when I'm pursuing God and worshiping God, when he's number one in my life. Then I'm able to properly enjoy all these other things as well. In the words of Jesus seek first my kingdom, and then everything else will be added into you as well. Solomon learned that life is vanity, and that it doesn't make sense, and it's meaningless unless I'm having a relationship with God, unless I'm worshiping God, unless I'm pursuing God. Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter one, all things are made by Jesus and for Jesus. You exist for Jesus. You're on this planet for Jesus. He's why you're here to worship him, love him, serve him, follow him. He is why you are on this planet. Life will not make sense until you have a relationship with with Jesus and it's why as followers of Jesus, every time we kind of start going back to the vain things of this life that do not fulfill and do not satisfy, we find them empty and dry and we find pain and regret. And if you've been reading with us in our daily devotionals in Revelation, maybe you saw in Revelation chapter three where John and his vision sees Jesus saying, repent and come back to your first love. See the height from which you have fallen and come back to your first love, Jesus, through which all else makes sense and through whom all else can be enjoyed. You'll never be able to properly enjoy your stuff your relationships, or anything in this life until you know and follow Jesus first. And when he's number one, then everything else can be enjoyed in its proper place. But you gotta loosen your grip on the things of this world and the things of this life. You gotta see the height from which you have fallen and repent and turn back to your first love, Jesus, and find out like Solomon did, that when I worship God, then I can properly enjoy all these other great things the Lord has blessed me with. And then finally, I think the coronavirus has exposed this, that life is shaky. Life is shaky. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 27 says this, this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed. And one day as followers of Jesus, we we believe that. That in the end, we call it the, the tribulation, that we will begin to, to see all of creation and the things of this world begin to literally, physically like shake and, and pass away and, and be removed. That The scripture says that the world and everything in it are passing away and are going to pass away. And as a result of the curse of sin, Paul says in Romans 8, that the world and everything in it, it's like in birth pains until Christ returns. And when we see that and we experience that that the world is passing away. This world, this earth is sick and dying and is going to eventually die because Jesus says, I'm going to wipe all those things away and I'm going to make everything new. There's going to be a new earth. There's going to be this new city coming down out of heaven. You're going to receive new glorified spiritual bodies, just like Jesus had after he rose from the grave. But, but the world and everything in it is going to be shaken. And it is shaken. And we kind, of, we kind of feel that and sense that even now with things like this. It's kind of giving us the, the foretaste of what's to come, it's giving a picture of, of what's to come. That the world and everything in it, all of creation are going to be shaken and removed so that, watch this, so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. The writer of Hebrews says, one day everything is going to be shaken and removed and only unshakable things will remain. So we can experience shaky things all around us that, that, that are shaking and yet remain unshakable because we have received an unshakable kingdom. And when everything is shaking and one day, and I, I believe that the church, personally, I believe that the church as followers of Jesus, that if we're alive when, when, during this time and Jesus hasn't returned yet, that we will go through the tribulation. I believe that. Not everybody does, but I do we will have to patiently endure the words of revelation. We will have to patiently endure the suffering that is to come, the shaking that is to come. That even when everything around us is shaking, we can remain unshaken. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see the kind of hall of fame, the heroes of our faith and and what all they did. And and the writer of Hebrews says, "By, by faith, People like Noah and Abraham and, and David and all these other people served God and worship God and trusted God. It was by faith. But then the writer of Hebrews says this. They lived by faith and they trusted God because they were looking forward to a new city that was to come. Whose architect is God whose foundation is God himself. And this new city cannot be shaken. It can't because it's architect is God himself. And so the writer of Hebrews says these people lived by faith because they were looking forward. They didn't have a tight grip on this life or even the things of this life. No, no, no. They were looking forward to what's to come. They were looking forward to this new city that's gonna be on a new earth. They were looking forward to to a new body. And these things, this new body, this new city, this new earth, are not susceptible to things like viruses, sicknesses, cancer, sin, death. Jesus says all those things are gonna be gone forever because I'm gonna make all things, everything, I'm gonna make everything new. And all these things are unshakable. They cannot be touched by anything that happens in this life, by the curse of sin on our bodies, the curse of sin on this world. All those things, that will be gone forever. We are receiving an unshakable kingdom. A new city on a new earth, new bodies. That's what the new kingdom looks like. And it is unshakable. And we live by faith, even in shaky times, by looking forward. It's amazing when you read the scripture, how often it talks about looking forward, looking ahead. Read 1 Peter, it talks about how how much we're looking forward to this this hope that we have that's that's to come. We look forward, that's how we live by faith in shaky times. We we loosen our grip on this life, the shaky things in this life that we've put our faith in, that we've we've trusted in. We loosen our grip, our trust, our faith in the shaky things. And we begin to trust in that which is, unshakable. So here's my challenge for you today is this is since this life is shaky, trust in that which is unshakable. Since this life and everything in it, since this body, since all of it is shaky, then trust in that which is unshakable that only makes sense to pursue to cling to to serve to worship that which is unshakable. We replace our fear that has come as a result of trusting and shaky things with faith in unshakable things, the things that are to come. And next week, we're going to talk more about the unshakable truth that we can hold on to in this time and in this day where everything around us seems to be shaking. In Revelation chapter 12, in our reading this past week, if you follow along with us on uh, the daily devotionals, Revelation chapter 12, it said this, they, they overcame by the blood of the lamb. Over, overcame what? Well, I think for one, they're, they're referring to overcoming the, the tribulation that's to come, the time of intense suffering. And, and two, it says that they overcame the devil. So these people that are in heaven that John is seeing, He's learning that they overcame, they overcame death itself, they they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And then John hears this from Jesus and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. From death. They weren't afraid because their trust, their faith, what they were pursuing, what they were clinging to was that which is unshakable. They didn't have a a tight grip on this life or the things of this life. No, they they were looking forward to, to what's to come, to the unshakable things that were to come. And so they overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they did not love this life so much as to shrink from death. Proverbs says the godly are as bold as lions. They are bold. They are fearless. Paul told Timothy, we have not received a spirit of fear. We have received a spirit of power, love, and self-control. That's the, the spirit that we have received. It's a fearless kind of spirit because what do we have to afraid of? Not even death itself can hold us down. Because we follow and we've trusted in one who conquered sin and conquered death. And so we have nothing to fear. God's perfect love, scripture says, drives out all fear. And so Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 says this So we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. We belong to those who have faith and are saved. That's who we belong to. We come from a people and we are a part of a people who do not shrink back in fear. We stand up with courage and boldness and power and love. That's who we come from. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us have died horrible, torturous deaths so that you and I could know and hear the gospel that we hear today. They have faced lions. They have faced beheadings. They have faced being burned alive at the stake. They have faced crucifixion in order that you and I might hear and know the good news of the gospel. That's who we come from people who do not shrink back in fear, people who stand up with courage. We come from people who have faith and are saved. As I've spent time in Southern Mexico, in Chiapas down on the border of Guatemala with Harvest Evangelistic Association with my friend, Greg, who leads this ministry that I've known for nearly 20 years now and gotten to hang out with him and spend time with him. And um, I've, taught at their school some now that uh, where they, where they train people, evangelists, church planters to go out into these villages uh, all over the the mountains of Mexico, Southern Mexico, Central America. Uh, They go out all over the place. They, uh, and they're preaching and planting churches. And as I've spent time with them, I've heard on numerous occasions, Greg tell their students, you are going to go into these villages And many of you know, when you go back to your village, you will be in danger of people literally coming out from the bushes, because it's like a jungle, and attacking you with machetes and leaving you for dead. You know that this could happen to you. And he would tell them, I've heard him say it numerous times, preparing them for what they're about to face, that your blood on that trail, your blood that will be shed in that dirt will scream out to that village that Jesus loves you. And they go and they preach regardless of the cost. They are not of those that shrink back. They are those that have faith and are saved. They are not those that love this life so much as to shrink from death, to be afraid of death. They are as bold as lions. You know, I've met one of their evangelists that goes from village to village preaching. And one of the ones I I, I met had his arm chopped off by a machete and has a scar across his face for where they tried to uh, kill him with a machete in his head. He has a scar that goes all the way down. They cut him through the bone. They beat him with machetes. They left him for dead. Miraculously, he survived. As we stood there with him, he had a wood arm where his arm had been chopped off. And he told us his story. And after they stitched him up and after he had recovered, he went right back to the same village. That is a boldness and a fearlessness that many of us really don't have a clue about. I mean, let's just be real, let's just be honest. I mean, in our country, we've, we've gotten very comfortable but I think one of the things that the coronavirus is exposing in the fear and the panic that we see as a result is that this world desperately needs people who are fearless and who are bold as lions that are not afraid of death. This world desperately needs those who do not love this life so much as to shrink from death because our faith is in that which is unshakable. If you're here today and maybe you've been thinking that you're going to overcome this life, you're going to overcome maybe even death itself by being a good person or doing your best, trying hard, maybe, maybe your good deeds lot outweigh your bad deeds. These verses here in Romans 12 say that the only way we overcome death is by the blood of the Lamb. There is no other way. In Acts 15, a group gets together because some people were starting to say, well, you can give your life to Jesus, but you've got to do all these other things in order to be saved. And they come together and they decide, no, 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 that's, that's not true. It's not Jesus plus something equals forgiveness of sin and right with God and, and heaven for eternity. No, no, that's not, uh, that's not what we believe. We believe we are all saved the same way. It says in Acts 15, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, there's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. So, so Ephesians two says salvation's is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So, so you're not gonna overcome your sin. You're not gonna overcome death. You're not gonna be right with God one day on that day that you stand before him because you've done better or tried harder or because you've been a good person. Good people don't go to heaven. In Revelation 12, these people that are in heaven that John has a vision of have overcome death itself and have received eternal life. They're in heaven with God because they overcame by the blood of the lamb. John the Baptist said about Jesus, there he goes, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Romans 3 says you're made right with God, your sins forgiven. When you trust in Jesus's payment of your fine, his sacrifice on the cross. When you believe, when you trust in Jesus's payment of your fine through his death on the cross, and then he rose again three days later, conquering sin and death. When you give your life to Jesus, when you believe in him, That's when your sin's forgiven and you're made right with God by the blood of the lamb. There is no other way. And So maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. I want you to know the only way you're gonna overcome your sin, the only way you're gonna overcome death, the Bible says is by the blood of the lamb. His blood, Jesus said, was shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. When he died, in your place for your sin. He paid your fine. And so you have a choice, all of us do. You can choose to go at it alone, do better, try harder, kind of do your own thing, go your own way. You you can choose that, to not depend on God or his salvation. And when you stand before God one day, you will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. And you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But if you would humble yourself and say, I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. I can't be right with God. I can't get to heaven on my own. I need someone to save me and rescue me from my sin. Then give your life to Jesus today and you will overcome sin and death itself by the blood of the lamb. Would you pray with me? God, we confess our deep need for you today that this life and everything in this life is shaky at best. And so God, would you give us the faith today to trust in that which is God, would you fill us with your spirit? That, that, that spirit that's not a spirit of fear, it's a spirit of power and love and self-control. God, would you fill us with that fearless spirit that we might be as bold as lions and that it would be true of us that we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and are saved. We are of those who do not love this life so much as to shrink from death. God, would you fill us with that spirit that that might be true of every single one of us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.